Production support for Earth Eats comes from Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. And Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at PersonalFinancialServices.net. From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. Getting to produce things and share them with others is a deeply satisfying practice, and it also does something that a lot of the time people experiencing poverty maybe don't get as much access to, which is like being considered experts in their field and getting credit for the work that they do. This week on Earth Eats, we're revisiting a story from last year about a food pantry that hosts a seasonal farm stand. It's part of their efforts to help break the social isolation that so often goes hand in hand with poverty and food insecurity. And Jackie B. Howard shares some of her meal prepping tips, this time using a crock pot, which when you think about it is perfect for summer since you avoid heating up the kitchen. We've got that plus some food news and a story from Harvest Public Media on how to talk about climate change in flyover country. All just ahead, so stay with us. First, let's go to Alex Chambers for news. Hello, Alex. Hi, Kate. Lawmakers in the House and Senate have introduced companion bills that would allow schools more flexibility to purchase local products for cafeteria meals. Representative Shelley Pingree and Senator Susan Collins, both from Maine, are sponsoring the legislation. The Kids Eat Local Act aims to remove bureaucratic hurdles that hamper local purchases. The measures would allow schools to target locally grown, locally raised, or locally caught food in their procurement language. The bills do not require local purchases or define what local means. Individual school districts can determine that for themselves. Supporters say the proposal would not add extra costs for programs. Food hubs have gained popularity in the U.S. in the last decade. There are now more than 200 that provide small farmers a place to pool food and sell to bigger customers like restaurants and grocery stores. Tori Dahlhoff, with the Greater Peoria Economic Development Council, says a food hub could help farmers in east-central Illinois diversify their crops and income. The real conversation is the opportunity for farmers to diversify their land, diversify their revenue streams, and that can only be good for people if we can figure out how to do that and how we help farmers do that. Dahlhoff says a hub near the south side of Peoria could also provide fresh produce to a historically underserved area. And that's the news. Thanks to Chad Bouchard and Harvest Public Media's Madeline Beck for those stories. Thank you, Alex. Sure thing, Kate.
The number of people who believe in climate change is growing, but it can still be a touchy subject. For Harvest Public Media, Marley Baldridge went in search of the creative ways people bring up climate change in conversation without saying those words. Mark Junker usually helps clean up hazardous waste sites with the Sac and Fox Tribal Nation of Missouri in Kansas and Nebraska's Environmental Department. But today, he'll drive six hours between Kansas, Iowa, and his home in Fall City, Nebraska, delivering flyers that summarize regional climate change to tribal clinics and facilities. Sometimes pays to make the drive. Hello. Hello, how are you guys today? Good, how are you? Well, I brought some more. I brought some more. I started making them after seeing how they were done at the Wind River uh, Reservation, and I thought it would be uh, something to be useful for the, the four Kansas tribes to, to have as a, as a reference tool, a decision-making tool. He's in Hiawatha, Kansas today, in Brown County, home to nearly 10,000 people, and 61% of them believe in global warming, according to Yale's program on climate change communication. This challenges the stereotype that, in flyover country, folks don't believe in climate change. As Paula Dennison and anyone else who's lived in a rural place can tell you, it's not that simple. No, not at all. Dennison is the assistant city manager of Stillwater, Oklahoma. Most people believe in global warming here, just like in Hiawatha. Not that everyone would call it that. Oh, we talk about it, but no, we don't. We don't use the term climate change. It's hard for her to describe what Oklahomans view. But when she talks about climate change in terms of what people can do and connects them to resources, Dennison finds that folks are much more likely to buy into a solution than a problem. She's not the first one to figure this out. When was the last time you heard a whippoorwill at night? How, how many hoot owls do you hear at night as opposed to how many you used to hear? You know, things like that to get people to think about, well, yeah, you know, things have changed a lot in a relatively short amount of time. Jane Ellen Ross hosts living history workshops, like how to make medicine from plants, near her home in Huntsville, Arkansas. Huntsville has a population of a little more than 2,300 people, and more than half believe in global warming. She says that when people talk about the past, they don't realize they're talking about the effects of climate change. This spring, the Missouri River flooded parts of Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, and Kansas. Junker says that people in the area were calling it a 100-year flood, except that the label doesn't really mean anything anymore. It's like you're having a 100-year flood happening every five or six years. The most recent National Climate Report says that because rural communities depend more on the land but have fewer resources, like extensive infrastructure or political clout or less affluent, the people that live there face what's called the climate gap. That means that people may need to drive 30 miles to recycle their glass and plastic. It might mean that they don't have reliable internet to even find out about recycling programs in the first place. To close the gap, Junker, Ross, and Dennison feel the answer is to keep talking, however possible. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Marley Baldridge.
For more from this reporter collective, visit harvestpublicmedia.org. Our regular Earth Eats listeners might remember Jackie B. Howard. Jackie works here at the radio station, but she's cooked professionally for many years. She shared some fabulous recipes with us. Though Jackie will be the first to tell you she doesn't really work from recipes. Coming up, you'll hear how she decides on certain ingredients and proportions and the role of personal preference and tasting as you go in her method of cooking. Today, she's talking about her practice of cooking ahead. Every Sunday, I make food ahead for the week. Um, I like to use what I have on hand, figure out what I've got, and and put some stuff together. Take a couple of hours out of the week and do it all at once, because I really hate coming home and having to cook after work. So Sunday, it's chill and quiet, and I get to just spend a couple hours in the kitchen, make dinners for the week, make lunches for the week. Sometimes I make things for the freezer. Today we are making something for the freezer, um, or I'll make snacks or something something else fun or different. Okay, that sounds like a lot of work. Is this going to be like an all-day event or? <laughs> Not all day, no. No, I mean, usually I'm, I'm like a three-hour max on my day um, for, for the meal prep to get all of that done. I mean, I can be fairly efficient. I've, I've done it enough at this point to, to be efficient. Doing it all at one time and using, because I'm using what I have on hand, it's all here. It's using this uh, similar ingredients and making them in different ways, and that cuts down a lot on the time. Today, Jackie is making a white bean and kale soup using some cubed butternut squash that she had already roasted and some bratwurst that she had left over from a cookout. I'm going to go ahead and chop up kale. I'm going to saute the onions for the soup real fast and then basically get the soup going and then it's on and ready to go. First, I'm going to go ahead and turn this pan back on so I can get the onions. I'm going to go ahead and add the olive oil to it, let that heat up just a little bit before I add the onions to it. And I did white onions. Chopping the kale and I'm just giving it a rough chop. It's going to get cooked, so it's going to get cooked down. I'm not worried about big pieces of it or anything. One of the benefits of cooking this way and meal prepping specifically is that I'm going to get each of these meals down to like less than two or three dollars a meal and with good quality stuff in it, you know, like real with a ton of vegetables. It's not Mm -hmm. pasta that's cheap, you know, that you can do and you know, it's just a lot of whole food ingredients. Yes. Yes. Not a lot of processed food or anything. Well, no processed stuff really. Oh, no, no. I try to avoid it as best I can. That olive oil is probably good to go at this point. I'm going to add these onions. And I'm just going to saute them up just to get... I'm not going to really caramelize them since I had caramelized the brats. It's going to get that flavor in those. So I'm just going to make these, get these going until they're translucent because I'm going to cook them in the crock pot still. I'm not that worried about it. I just want a little bit of brown and again, get all those last bits of the brats that were in that pan too. Get that cooked up into those onions. I'm gonna add just a little bit of salt, a pinch and a half-ish, I would say. It was a three finger pinch. That's the exact science proportion of it. (laughs) So you can see those are starting to get a little brown. 
Now we're making the kale and white bean soup. It has about a quarter of a white onion, the one bunch of kale, and then I would say it was probably two and a half to three cups of brats, uh, chopped up brats in there. And then I have two cans of white beans, so whether that proportion really works or not, that's what's going in it, because I need to use them both. <laughs> so hopefully it'll work out all right. <laughs> when it comes to making food in general, but especially a soup or things like that, it's whatever you like. You know, do you like your soup to be have lots of beans or no? That's that's up to you. You get to make it how you want. So I'm gonna put all these white onions right into the crock pot. I've already I already have the brats, the kale. Now we're doing the onions. I'm gonna take some of that butternut squash and put in here. And I am going to I'm gonna reduce some of the beer. Uh, well, the rest of that can of beer and some water with some spices in this skillet. Um, and that's what I'm going to use as my stock. So you're basically just building the flavor a little bit more quickly. Yes. Yes. Since it's, um, since I'm going to do water and not stock and it doesn't have that flavor, some sort of flavor component to it, I want to go ahead and do it in the skillet first so that I can reduce some of the, the water content out of it, but still need get it to a consistency that I need. I'm going to take the 16 ounce can of beer, fill it with water, and that's what I'm going to add to this beer. Uh, I'm gonna throw the spices in. I'm gonna reduce it a little bit. I'm gonna taste them and see what it tastes like, and then I can add it to my soup. I can adjust it from there. Smoked paprika is one of another one of those spices I think must 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 be in your in your pantry. It that smoke flavor to it adds so much depth, particularly for soups, meats. It's just really important to have, and it's such an easy go-to. But it it does give that nice depth to it. I'm gonna do paprika, mustard. And that's something too, what I think about when, uh, when I'm making something for the freezer, I want, I want it to stand alone on its own. Um, so I could just pull it out and eat it. And I want it to be versatile enough that I can add, it could go a lot of different directions when I want to pull it out for something else. I am going to do thyme. That is another one of my favorite, personal favorites. I, for a soup, I'm going to go ahead and do garlic powder in it. Um, for my slaw, I would definitely, I'm going to use fresh garlic. Use whatever you have. Oh, and I want white pepper. There it is. And these are just my go-to. Like when I do a white bean soup, my mom always did white pepper in it. I guess that's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like a ham and white bean soup is what my mom always made. You know, serve over cornbread and, and it's delicious and wonderful and amazing. She did white pepper in it. And so that is like crucial to me for white beans that they have white pepper. If that's not your thing, you can do black pepper. It's fine. So I am going to, I'm going to take some of the thyme and the garlic powder and put it in my reduction right now and the mustard okay so this is starting to simmer just a little bit we're evaporating a little you can see that happening i'm going to take about two teaspoons of garlic powder i like garlicky things my kale didn't get seasoned the onions only got what salt and what was in the in the pan from the bratwurst the bratwurst are going to be pretty heavily seasoned themselves so i'm not too worried about that but i want to make sure that i recognize my white beans are not going to get seasoned when they go in so i need to make sure that the my stock here is flavorful enough to flavor those things and still stay in and of itself flavorful when you eat it about a teaspoon of ground mustard but you could do a spicy mustard if you wanted to you know you could do a prepared mustard mm -hmm. a dijon would be fine as well and i'm just going to do like a half a teaspoon of paprika because i'm going to add more of that into my mix over here time i'm, I'm going to do like a teaspoon on that 
And then the white pepper, I'm actually not going to put into my stock. I'm gonna shake it onto my veggies here that I've got in the crock pot. I'm gonna go ahead and open up these cans of white beans. I'm leaving this, these beans just a little bit wet to add some liquid to the soup. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna toss those with a little bit of that white pepper. Huh. So I've turned this off, sort of stock, uh, whatever we wanna consider it. That's amazing how like rich that looks already. I could let it keep going, but since I want it as a soup, I want more liquid in it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and pull it. We're gonna see if it tastes well enough to to move it now and use it, or if I need to add more water, add more spices. It smells really good already, actually. Yeah, it does. So the beer's a little heavy in it, so I am gonna add more water. And once the the one thing to consider in this, right? So I'm tasting it as it is. This is not what it's gonna taste like once it cooks with the brats and the veggies and the butternut squash that has cinnamon on it. And mm -hmm. you know, it's gonna get more flavor to it. I'm tasting it to see does it have the base that I need to get to the flavor that I want it to have. Mm -hmm. So I am adding about a cup <laughs> of water. Turning this back on. I'm gonna add a little bit more garlic, a half a teaspoon of garlic. I am going to add more mustard to it, and I'm going to do more of that thyme as well. And I put that back into the pan and have the pan going just to like let me get this warm up those spices that I just threw in. I'm not going to reboil this because I know it. What I don't need to reduce it any further. I'm going to put all this right into my crock pot. So taking this and dumping it right over top of all the wonderful stuff for my soup. That's going right into the crock pot. As you look at it, it looks like there's not enough liquid for it because the kale is so poofy <laughs> from mm -hmm. being fresh. But once it cooks down a little bit, it's gonna it's gonna release a little bit of moisture itself. It's gonna sink down into it, and the the ratio is probably gonna be about right. I've got the sheet pan of butternut squash that looks so good. About a cup or a cup and a half of butternut squash in there. Okay, so crock pot's going. You can actually see it steaming already, which is awesome. So that is just going to set. I'm going to set and forget it. You've got it on high. I do have it on high. I'd like to be able to get a sense of where it's at in a few hours mm -hmm. and maybe be able to pull it and cool it so that I can get it in the freezer today. Well, and when you think about it, most of the things are cooked. So you're just really trying to blend those flavors. Exactly. Yep. Just giving it some time to, to hang out together. <laughs> yeah. If you want to try making this soup or your personal version of it, find the basic recipe at eartheats.org. You can find other recipes there from Jackie B. Howard. Again, that's eartheats.org. Der E-Trolley, ein Tunnelkuh. Production support for Earth Eats comes from Charles Schwab and Company Incorporated, whose local branch is now located at 1155 College Mall Road. Independent branch leader Jeremy Zeichner, CFP and team, offer personalized financial plans matched to investors' goals. More at schwab.com slash Bloomington. And insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. 
More at 812-336-6838. And Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net. If you're a regular shopper at a farmer's market, it's probably not just because of the food. Farmer's markets are social spaces where people go to visit with their friends and also with the people who sell them tomatoes, sweet corn, or grass-fed beef. But those markets can feel more exclusive than some people like to admit. A food pantry in Bloomington, Indiana, is trying to change that. Associate producer Alex Chambers spoke with people there. Today I've got my great-grandmother's recipe up there for apple butter. Not the recipe, but i got the jars of apple butter. Lisa Wilson and her husband, Kenny, have been selling at the farmer's market since it started two years ago. And so they, everybody's, oh, you do that, let's make it pink. I said, well, shh, I shouldn't be telling you, but um, it's red hot, you know? It's red hots to taste. Red hots to taste. Her apple butter was quite tasty but she's not likely to make a lot of money on it. This market is, I'm just gonna say it, tiny. There are three vendors, along with a guitarist named Billy Young, a voter registration table, and a table with sample butternut squash hummus sandwiches. Customers are relaxed as they check out the wares. Allison Pepper is trying to figure out what she might be able to take home. I'm not sure yet. I was hoping a sunflower, but I think my mom is getting three, and also I only have one dollar. Are the sunflowers more than a dollar? Yeah. Allison is six. Her mom, Molly, is getting sunflowers. Big, dried heads. I'll take $7 worth if that's, if you have that many. One, two, This market is taking place outside a food pantry here in Bloomington. It's called Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. Locals know it as The Hub. The staff at The Hub started the market to make a space for people who might not be professional farmers, but still want to share food. We knew there were a lot of community members who were already growing food at home, uh, and that sometimes it was just an issue of disconnect physically, of getting one thing from one person to another. Uh, So that's sort of where the idea kicked off. Hannah Lenchek is the advocacy coordinator at The Hub. She helped get the farm stand off the ground. That meant encouraging people to bring their wares. Lisa Land is selling those big sunflower heads, along with some decorative purple corn. Then some different, just kind of end-of-the-year garden stuff, like basil, peppers. Um, I gathered some persimmons, and then I have um, several handmade sewn items, like reusable menstrual pads, uh, reusable Ziploc bags, cloth wipes, and blankets and banners. Lisa is not a professional farmer. She and her husband grow most of their own food and spend their summers preserving as much as they can. Really, last year what I would do was I would bring whatever to this market I got sick of preserving (laughs) during that month, so then I could just get it out of the house. And I I mean, I'm not pricing it to where I'm making a profit on it. It's just something like, all right, that pays off part of the seeds. Like, It's just all in good fun, I guess. Lenchek says this is not a situation where farmers are going to make a living. Most of our vendors have to travel to get here, and that means not only like the physical time that it takes to get here, but also gas money, which they have to balance with an understanding that they might not sell all of their goods at the farm stand. So 
If the market's not providing a way for people to make a living, what is it doing? Why might vendors like Lisa and Kenny Wilson keep coming back month after month? You don't have to be experiencing poverty to be a vendor here, or a customer for that matter. But the pantry is trying to address food insecurity. Statistically speaking, we know that social isolation and food insecurity often go hand in hand. Isolation can be both a cause and a symptom of food insecurity. I think it's really important to think about the ways that, again, people experiencing poverty a lot of the times are working against systems that really promote isolation. In other words, people are trading more than food here. Billy Young is known for dedicating his songs to the vendors. And imagine going to a food pantry not for the free food, but because you have something to share. Getting to produce things and share them with others is a deeply satisfying practice. And there are some ways that food in particular is commodified that can be really problematic for a lot of communities. And there are other ways that it really allows us to connect, even when it is through systems of money being exchanged. And the farm stand is, I think, the latter, that it presents people with an opportunity to sell things that they've made by themselves, that they're really proud of, and that they want to share with others, but that they may not have other venues for. That is really satisfying. And it also does something that a lot of the time people experiencing poverty maybe don't get as much access to, which is like being considered experts in their field and getting credit for the work that they do. Uh, and that's really where the farm stand steps in, is saying like, we trust our community members to be doing all of these things that they're already doing that are really incredible. And our job is not necessarily to like train people to do the things, although sometimes that's part of the work, but it's more like helping people build capacity and offering an outlet for it. In any case, it's been worthwhile for Lisa Wilson. I've met a lot of new people. I've learned a lot of different things, maybe on how to do this or how to do that. I think just being out of the house and around all these people, because everybody's pretty much have been pretty nice. And I've just really enjoyed being here doing this. You can expect to see her here next year, whether it's with her secrets to apple butter. Red hot to taste. Or persimmons, peppers, or pearl onions. For Earth Eats, I'm Alex Chambers. What has come down to be If you liked what you heard today, tell a friend or subscribe to our podcast. You can leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Aabon Binder, Chad Bouchard, Alex Chambers, Mark Chilla, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, Daniel Orr, Renee Reed, the IU Food Institute, and Harvest Public Media. Special thanks this week to Jackie B. Howard, Hannah Lenchek, Lisa Land, Lisa Wilson, Molly Pepper, Allison Pepper, and Billy Young. Earth Eats theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Our executive producer is John Bailey. I'm Kate Young, and I produce the show. We'll be back next week.
Production support comes from Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. Charles Schwab & Company, Inc. Independent branch leader Jeremy Zeichner, CFP and Associates offer personalized financial plans and continued financial education matched to investors' goals. More at schwab.com slash Bloomington. And insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Resch Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at 812-336-6838.